Hello, quarantine! Welcome back to House Music with me, Steve Pretty. I'm a musician, composer and performer based in London and this is the show where we've been taking music apart, mixing up the pieces and reassembling them in your lockdown kitchen to show that you are far more musical than you might realise. It's far easier than the quarantine sourdough that you've no doubt been meaning to make, believe me. It's been great to hear the feedback from the last episode where we looked at the role of drones in music, both ancient and modern, and we had an amazing remote performance all the way from Bangalore uh, by South Indian master violinist Jotsna Srikanth. Um, I'm really pleased that so many of you are enjoying these deep dives uh, into the more sort of specific aspects of what music is. And we've got some really exciting plans coming up for future episodes. So do give me a shout on housemusic at stevepretty.com if you've got something specific that you'd like me to explore. So if last time we took a melody and looked at how that changed with the addition of just one note, this time we're looking at what happens when you start adding lots of different notes around melodies. But first... It's time to introduce my dad, who is, as will become relevant shortly, Australian. How am I doing now? I got it. You got it? Got well, it. Now I'm on the computer. Before I was on my, uh, my tablet, I was doing everything to my sound and I couldn't work it. I had to sleep. I've just woken up. So just, uh, as you know, I'm not the world's greatest singer, so see how we go. Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong under the shade of a coolibar tree. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. So this is an old Australian bush ballad called Waltzing Matilda. I'm sure most of you might know it. This is my dad singing it to me uh, into his phone in June 2020. Come a waltzing Matilda with me. But for many years, it was what he used to sing as a lullaby to help me and my brother get to sleep. And I've recently started singing it to my daughter when I put her to bed. And I find it such a, a beautiful and, and haunting melody. Um, it's probably best, though, to say that we should ignore the lyrics, which are essentially about a sheep rustler drowning in a pond. And his ghost may be heard as you pass by that billabong. You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. Sleep well. It's really a very simple melody that pretty much conforms to that cheeky little five-note pentatonic scale that we discussed back in episode five, uh, when pop singer Eliza sang her beautiful version of the pentatonic five-note tune Amazing Grace. Um, do go back and check out episode five if you've not listened to that yet. But as we looked at in episode six, if you add a single note, a drone underneath... Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. It immediately changes the texture, the, the feeling of the tune. As suddenly we're, we're subconsciously aware of these little tensions, these dissonances that are created at waltzing certain moments Matilda, in the tune. Waltzing Matilda, you'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. This extra 
low note recontextualizes that melody and forces our musical brains to do the subconscious mental gymnastics of hearing the interaction between these two notes. Cover waltzing Matilda with me. And whether you're a concert pianist or if you just used to enjoy a dodgy covers band in your local pub in the before times, your brain's going to be doing these mental gymnastics the second it hears music of any sort. Because you've subconsciously been aware of music since five months before you were even born. So, so your brain is going to hear these moments where the melody sounds like it's straining slightly against the drone. And your brain's going to try and fit them into a, a sort of mental framework that it can understand based on the music that you've listened to up to that point. And that's because Western music in particular has a focus on harmony. Now, harmony means, in essence, the interaction between two or more notes. And as we'll explore later on in the show, this can be taken to extremely complex levels, but but really, these are just fancier and more elaborate versions of that tension that we hear with the melody plus the drone. Now, my guest today is Sam Lee. Sam is a Mercury Music Prize-nominated folk singer, song collector and a restless collaborator, including, most recently, with actual nightingale birds live in the forest. Well, you've been off with the birds, right? (laughs) I have. I've been going into the forest quite a lot, doing some of the sound broadcasts of, of nightingales and other creatures too well i'm very envious of that whereabouts were you uh were you recording them a secret location a secret location in, but, but in, in sussex well in sussex right yeah. right yeah wow do they migrate i don't know anything about a nightingale yeah somebody. they'll arrive in early april actually the earliest they've ever arrived in my time with them and uh, and they hang on till mid late July and then they fly home again. Wow. So all of you here them small birds to hear I'll have you pay attention now listen draw near that when you've grown old You'll have this to say That you never heard so sweet That you never heard so sweet That you never heard so sweet as the birds in the spring. So Sam is in some ways quite a curious guest to have on in an episode looking at what harmony is. As Sam will be the first to say that he's not a classically trained musician, so his understanding of harmony is it's perhaps more sort of instinctive and it's more based on his experiences as a gigging musician than it is on any sort of academic understanding of harmony. He didn't study at music college or university. He's just gigged a lot. He's collected a lot of songs. He's got an absolutely amazing knowledge of songs from all over the world and, and how they developed. And I wanted to talk to him about how harmony might have somehow emerged from melody. I wanted to talk to you particularly because one of the 
earliest examples of more than one voice singing or playing different things is the song Sumeriza Akuminin, which is uh, an early uh, use of the technique of round or canon. So it's one person starts the melody and then the next person sings the same melody but starting in a different place. You know, it's funny with songs like Summer Is A Coming In and historical ancient music because there is very little known about Mm. how they would have been sung. We sing it nowadays as a round and this kind of layering in that gives this extraordinary kind of texture to it. Actually, there's there's no evidence to say it was or, or that it wasn't. There is a manuscript for those. That, 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 that's right, I think, isn't it? There is a, an early manuscript of it. There is, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if it has the actual kind of parts laying over each other. It has a kind of red cross, which is uh, when the first voice reaches that position, the second voice should start. Yes, there is lots of instances of music written for kind of playing maybe in the courts or certainly sort of higher levels of society. So that's where you will have madrigals and songs being sung in, in multiple parts and with instrumentation as well. But certainly the evidence we have of folk song, you know, over the last four or five hundred years is that amongst the people it wouldn't always have been sung single line, single voice without that sort of arranged harmony single voice with no with nothing underneath it yeah it's when talking about songs that have been documented within working class communities or you know the sort of the working people it's one singer one song with the exception of the there might be choruses in songs particularly in pub singing there's a bit of evidence uh demonstrating chorus where people will join in on a repeat mm. line or a whole chorus as well and of course then there's Shanty singing as well, which is in itself a sort of folk song tradition. But it's also a very organized and um, a very sort of rarefied. Uh, evolved tradition and that would have had call and response and no doubt there would have been little bits of harmony particularly when you've got crews on ships that are incredibly multicultural from you know black american freed slaves to native americans to maori to you know caribbean shipmates there would have been all sorts of people with different musical traditions yeah but really of all the sound recordings and and notation of folk song that's happened in the last 150 years it's almost entirely single voice. But obviously, I, I'm aware that you've worked with, you know, choirs and, and obviously you uh, play yourself and all those things. So how, how do you go about adding harmony to a tradition that is traditionally single line? How do you kind of approach that artistically? And what can harmony do to recontextualise those sort of single line melodies? It's like the kind of, the hungry melody can just chew up so many different ways of being interpreted and that there's a really careful like consideration that one has to make in terms of 
what is right for the song. Mm. And I always think that with arrangement, I, I liken it to this idea of making a sculpture. You know, when one, car- when one carves a sculpture, you start with, you know, a big chunk of marble. And then it's about removing everything that isn't mm-hmm. m- like Michelangelo's David or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's a process of elimination about respecting silence and space. And those are kind of more about where within the chords that we're applying or not applying, um, what uh, the emotional responses to that melody and also where one is holding chords and letting a melody continue over and cutting across what's been set up so I th- it's really about having that sensitivity to where that overpowering of a melody is not happening through chords or you're not manipulating it uh, so, to the point of suffocating it yeah it seems like what you're getting at there is that you what how you harmonize a melody how the the context in which you let a melody sit can fundamentally change how the performer and most importantly listener um perceives that and and the kind of emotional intensity of it one way or the other is that is that right yeah absolutely and and how one can take a really joyful melody and actually contextualize it within a real mournfulness or, Mm. or vice versa uh being truthful Mm-hmm. I think to what the the melody as much as the lyrics are trying to express, because I think the, the melodies in these folk songs speak a lot about the inner message of the songs. And you can really start to find melodies are so in their simpleness, actually in their simplicity are so eloquent in speaking out a, yeah, an, an arrangement that they want to be mm. sat within. It's all subjective, but yeah. Darling, it won't be for so what Sam's talking about here, this, this idea that songs contain within their melodies clues to how to harmonise them, that they contain a kind of harmonic truth, I find that really interesting. It's important to say that harmony isn't absolute. As we keep coming back to on this show, pretty much everything in music is relative. And the way that someone in the Middle Ages might have tried to harmonise this tune. Obviously, this tune wasn't around in the Middle Ages, but let's say it was. If they tried to harmonise it, it would have been very different to how a a jazz musician or or a musician in another musical tradition now might try and harmonise this. So when Sam, uh, as an archivist, a, a collector and historian of ancient songs, when he talks about the inner message and simplicity of these songs, there's a sense, I think, in which he feels that it would be inappropriate to introduce fancy jazz or or, or contemporary classical harmony, that this recontextualising wouldn't be true to what these songs are. So if we listen now to that same recording that we heard of my dad singing Waltzing Matilda, and this time I've added some parts, I've harmonised my dad with himself three dads I've got in this. So let's listen to my dad's Zoom performance uh, in three-part harmony. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. And now let's listen to a much more complicated so-called re-harmonisation of the exact same recording. So this is exactly the same melody that Dad's singing. This time I've added a slightly larger choir of Dad's to produce a kind of denser, more complex harmonies. 
Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boil. You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. Now, comic squeakiness aside, for me as a jazz musician, there's something I quite like about the complexity here. It's the fact that this recontextualization of the melody that we've heard and we know so well, that that recontextualization gives me a little dopamine here as my brain subconsciously tries to fit this complexity around the melody into a kind of comprehensible framework. And he sang as he watched them wait until his billy boil. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. But let's face it, it's a bit much, isn't it? I mean, yes, as a jazz musician, I can take pleasure in the unexpected twists and turns, but, but the original, much simpler three-part version just kind of feels more appropriate for what this song is, more, more in keeping with the spirit of the song. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. Sometimes as a listener, you want music to challenge the mental frameworks that you've established for understanding music. That is, after all, how music develops. But probably more often, you want something that your musical brain can comprehend without too much strain or study. So it's our job as musicians to use harmony as a tool just as we looked at the need for melody to have the right balance between predictability and surprise back in episode five, we use harmony to provide a context for the melody which feels appropriate to what that melody is. And I suppose just as cooking is about balancing flavours, you know, sweet with salt, say, working with harmony also involves dissonance. And that's notes that don't necessarily sound great together in isolation. The purpose of music is to challenge, is to challenge your emotional state, to bring about change, and it's to agitate, I guess. And I think where there's, where dissonance occurs, there's a, a physical abruptness in, in the way that the notes interact with each other that creates an agitation. And in that place of disturbance, that place of familiarity, of comfort is disrupted. And what that activates in the listener can have a very profound effect of reimagining the familiar and, and the comfortable. To push people into the edge of what is acceptable and redefining what the idea of beauty and ugly is. That if one surrounds themselves constantly with consonants and you know pure harmony, actually, actually it's, it's, a, it's, it's like eating kind of cream pies all day long. So in this sense, the the history and the development of harmony, at least in the West, it's really a history of the gradual acceptance of dissonance, of notes that sound somehow wrong, but which can, over time, start to sound right. Even this melody of Waltzing Matilda, this melody itself might have been considered far too dissonant for listeners centuries ago, when big leaps of the melody like this waltzing matilda waltzing matilda da waltzing da waltz were completely unheard of but over time with developments in music around the world with musical cultures in dialogue with one another across trade routes with innovations in musical instruments and and for a million other tiny reasons we come to accept as normal sounds that were considered extreme, in some cases sounds that were considered even immoral or evil to our ancestors. (laughs) 
Now this is a recording of my band Hackney Colliery Band performing with the great Ethiopian musician Malatu Astarke. It's a tune called Darash from our recent album Collaborations Volume 1. Now most people don't consider jazz or avant-garde classical music as immoral or evil. Mind you, I've had a few at some gigs in my time. But I do know firsthand that a lot of people might find some of this music barely listenable because it might just sound like a load of noise that doesn't make sense, kind of weird dissonances all over the place. I guess the development of harmony taken so far that it ends up erasing melody, kind of musical scribble. And in a very real sense, for these people, and if that's you, by the way, don't worry, you are definitely in the majority. If that's you, don't worry that it is just noise. But it can simultaneously be considered as great art by others. And although that might feel pretentious, that is no less true. Those two things can coexist. So the category that you're in is about how you have trained your musical brain, either subconsciously or in the case of musicians and say musicologists, consciously. And if you've never heard anything like this before, the likelihood is that your musical brain simply doesn't know where to fit it. So it ends up just sounding like noise. But it's my aim with this podcast to help you hear like a musician, to to kind of deepen your understanding of music just enough so that you can start to appreciate and enjoy it in new ways. Appreciate your own musicality and, and perhaps maybe even to dip a toe into more dissonant waters from time to time. So speaking of dissonance, for our little home musical adventure this week, I tried to get my family to explore harmony by singing a round. And just to recap what a round is, it's where one person starts singing a melody and the second voice comes in with the same melody but delayed slightly. Uh, think of Frere Jacques, and in our case here, row, row, row your boat. How does row, row go again? So inexplicably, my kids didn't think that the prospect of eternal fame and fortune from appearing in this bit of the podcast would be enough. So sure enough, one fairly hefty bribe later. Why don't Mama and I try it? Yeah? So why doesn't Mama start and then I'll join in? So what we're trying to go for here is to hear the harmony emerging from these two interweaving lines, just like we did earlier with that very early song, Summer Is A Coming In. As you hear these two lines overlapping, you hear something greater than the sum of their two parts emerging, a kind of extra dimension to the music. I mean, it's a bit grand, this is just us singing Row Row The Boat in the Kitchen, but you get the idea, there's something extra apart from just that line. Row your boat gently down the stream Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row, row your boat 
So have fun exploring harmony and singing rounds. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe to join me next time for what's going to be the last episode in this current series. It's been a real blast making these and we're going to be making some more very soon. So we'd love to know what you think of this series so far. Please do drop us a line. It's house music, all one word, house music at stevepretty.com or I'm on social media as at Steve Pretty. Do let us know what you think we should cover in the next series, what you would like to know about music, how it works, why it exists, and so on. And one thing I'm keen to explore in the context of the world being so crazy at the moment is what is the point of music? So I thought I'd just put that to Sam. <laughs> it's, um, it's about resonance. It's about vibration. And it's about us as like uh, beings that radiate and absorb and vibrate with each other and the world around us. And music is, is the, it's the connection that brings us together and to the land and is, is able to kind of, you know, massage through all the ills and troubles and joys. Music is the, it's the art form that all other art forms aspire to. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's both communication and uh, it's life all in one. Ah, I totally oh. threw you threw you in the deep end there. I just, I just, I'm kind of constantly questioning um, the value of uh, you know the value of what I do and things with kids, and particularly in a world of pandemics and you know and dreadful racism and everything else. You think is me making silly noises at the end of my garden really the best thing I could be doing? <laughs> make make me feel validated, <laughs> I guess. And you just have, so it's perfect. <laughs> just tell that to your kids. Yeah. Daddy yeah. can't play with you right now because I've got to vibrate with the planet. I've, I've got to go and vibrate with the universe, guys. Back in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. Uh, thank you so much to Sam Lee. And uh, he's got a lot of amazing projects going on. He's got a new record out. He also has a book about singing with nightingales. Uh, for all his latest uh, news, do check out his social media on at Sam Lee Song. At Sam Lee Song. Send us your pictures and video of you performing your rounds with your friends or family. Um, once again, you can email me on housemusic at stevepretty.com. We had a lot of great music in this episode. And for full details of that, do check out the show notes uh, but just briefly uh, to remind you we had the Hilliard Ensemble singing Summa is Ikumin In and we also had of course Sam Lee and the Nest Collective and their work with Nightingales and Sam's version of Goodbye My Darling um, and the Shanty singing was the Fishmen, Sailors and Singers of Cadgewith Cove recorded by John Hopkins. The Hackney Colliery Band track was called Darash, featuring Malatu Astarke and that's from our album Collaborations Volume 1. Thanks so much also to my dad uh, for uh, humouring me in this and singing that beautiful lullaby. You can check out his TikTok account. Uh, he's putting some really great content on there, guys. Who am I kidding? He's my dad. He doesn't have a TikTok account. <laughs> he hasn't moved on from Snapchat, if you can believe it. Thanks again. We will see you next time. From me and my producer, Miranda, stay safe and have fun. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me.